Feast of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones discussing with you matters of worship, theology, and culture. And uh, this is the first day of Advent uh, leading up to the Christmas season. And, And just a point of reference, I say this just about every year, but Advent is not synonymous with Christmas. In fact, it has little to do with it. There is some focus on the coming birth of Christ, but for us Christians, uh, it is actually more uh, related to the second coming of Christ. Um, Just as Israel um, awaited the coming of the Messiah through the virgin birth, we also await the Messiah in the second coming. And so uh, we can relate to ancient Israel in that regard. Um, So today... I am not discussing Advent, although this is the first Sunday in Advent, Um, but I am discussing something that I was reading about last week and thinking about, and that is the impact of the the Reformation, and and particularly the ecclesiastical uh, impact of the Reformation. And so that's what I want to discuss, judging the impact of the Reformation. Future generations tend to possess greater insight into the impact of significant movements throughout history. And so with the advantage of seeing the events in hindsight, these movements could be analyzed and considered based on their both benefits and their drawbacks. The Protestant Protestant Reformation is such a movement, and I think it can be and should be considered with the advantage of future knowledge that we have. And so to properly judge the impact of the Reformation... We need to consider both positive and negative impacts, of which there were certainly uh, both. Uh, There certainly exists both uh, positive and negative impacts. And we like to think about the positive, uh, but there were negatives. And so I want to discuss three primary areas of impact and that that should be considered regarding the Reformation. And that's the, uh, number one, the Reformation's impact on congregational worship participation. Number two, division in the church. And number three, exaggerated reform beyond what was necessary at that time. So the positive and negative impacts of the Reformation aid in, in rightly judging its impact on the church, both during its era and the centuries to come in which we live. And so number one, the first impact I want to discuss is the, the impact the Reformation had on congregational worship participation. Uh, this is, I think, an apparent impact of the Protestant Reformation. Prior to the Reformation, uh, worship participation through singing was not only discouraged but not allowed in the church. The Reformation uh, brought positive changes to Christianity, uh, to Christian worship, by encouraging congregational participation through singing through prayer, and through the public reading of Scripture. And uh, emphasis on the vernacular language opened the Bible and and theology to the common man. And so whereas it wasn't accessed before, wasn't accessible, it was now thanks to emphasis on the vernacular language. 
While the scripture was set in the vernacular languages sometimes prior to the Reformation, the publication of the Luther Bible in 1534 enjoyed the most popularity among Christians, Protestant Christians in particular. Um, the New Testament of the, of the Luther Bible was printed and published in 1522. By the way, it's an interesting story. If you want to read about the Luther Bible, uh, Martin Luther did not accept some of the books that we have in our biblical canon as truly inspired. The book of James is one of those. Um, but but he um, nevertheless, he did publish the Bible in the vernacular language in the New Testament 1522 and the entire Bible, including the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha in 1534. Um, so Martin Luther, he employed action on what was seemingly a tipping point in church history. Rather than claiming sole responsibility for reform in the church, Luther aided in the spread of Reformation thought and action. So congregational participation became vital to Christian worship during the Reformation. While Catholics have loosened their own regulations on congregational participation today, the concept grew during the Reformation. And so you might visit a Catholic church today and certainly see some congregational participation. It's nothing like it was prior to the Reformation. Um, I think in many ways the Catholic church observed what was happening among Protestants and thought, you know, we need to reform a little bit. Um, so the establishment of an enduring choral tradition is one of the hallmarks of Lutheran of the Lutheran Reformation, um, specifically relating to Lutheran the Lutheran denomination. In fact, if you visit Lutheran uh, colleges and universities, St. Olaf College, for example, there is a heavy choral tradition. And one of the key motivators for the development of such a distinctive devotional tradition that placed music and singing at the center of its worship and teaching was undoubtedly the personal affinity Martin Luther had for music. Uh, Luther, a hymn writer himself, wrote texts and composed tunes designed for congregational participation in the vernacular language. In other words, German for himself and his congregants. In fact, Luther's excommunication from the Catholic Church likely gave him a greater opportunity to employ such congregational participation among his future congregants. So the goal of Christian worship among Protestants during the Reformation was active participation, with a focus on the teaching of Scripture. For the Reformers, right Christian worship implied a return to the centrality of Scripture. Luther's goal was not a chasm within the church, but a reform of what was practiced and a return to the purity of, of the Christian faith. In fact, uh, the division occurring during the Reformation saddened Martin Luther. But the Reformation, with the Reformation already in motion, it was too late to correct its course. And so reform came from the Protestants rather than the Catholics. The teaching of the Bible, in other words, the sermon, uh, became the central focus of Christian worship. Whereas Catholic worship tended to take on a more sacramental nature. In fact, um, right or wrong, prior to the Reformation... Uh, the Eucharist was the central focus. And in, in fact, you will go to Catholic churches today, it still is. And it, we've kind of seen the pendulum swing the other way where even some Reformed and, and um, Protestant traditions make the uh, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the central part of the service. Uh, the Lutheran model only kept two of the sacraments instead of the seven employed by Catholics, and that was communion and baptism. 
even the Lutheran mass itself did not utilize all all five parts of the ordinary, but only the Kyrie and the Gloria. Uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's famed B minor mass is significant in this regard. Uh, this composer, a very famous composer, he was Lutheran himself, and his famed B minor mass includes all five parts of the mass ordinary. And it was the only mass he wrote uh, with all five parts. Uh, the, the other masses he composed were called Lutheran Misa Brevises, and they, were, they included just the Kyrie and the Gloria. Um, and in these types of changes, it's evident that the Reformation gave rise to the centrality of Scripture and to move away from strict legalism and formality in Christian worship. The Reformation saw necessary shifts in Christian worship in the way of congregational participation. So while worship participation was previously reserved for the elite, the educated, and only the church leaders, the Reformation's impact on Christian worship has been significant. Even now, congregational participation seems to be typical and was eventually adopted by Catholics. Although no longer distinctly Protestant, the Bible taught in the vernacular language, sung, uh, songs sung by the congregation in the vernacular language, and congreg congregational participation is a drastic impact of the Reformation and one that Luther, among other reformers, saw to be necessary. So that is the first impact of the Reformation. The second one I want to get into is more of a negative impact, and that is further division in the church. The Reformation occurred because of an already existing division. And so this is a seemingly negative impact. Uh, even for Luther, when he returned to Wittenberg from Wartburg, uh, from Wartburg Castle, he found the reform had moved more quickly and radically than desired or could be sustained. Luther's goal when he posted his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg in 1517 was not to divide, divide the church, but to unify her by reform. In other words, return to the basics of the Christian faith. The most important distinction for Luther's political thought was between the lower and the higher capacities of man, nature and reason on the one hand, and grace and revelation on the other. And perhaps Martin Luther lived during a time when enough people were ready for change that his qualms with Rome begun an unexpected uh, movement throughout Europe. And uh, so, so in, in an unfortunate sense, the church, as known at the time, became perhaps further divided than ever before. Uh, ever before. And L Martin Luther certainly did not intend on doing that. Reform was necessary in certain areas. For example, the disallowance of priestly marriage was challenged by Luther, and he eventually married a Protestant. In this area, Luther's impact continued through future generation. Of John Calvin's marital covenant, for example, John Witt writes this. Building on a generation of Protestant reforms before him, Calvin constructed a comprehensive new theology and law that made marital formation and, dis and, and, and dissolution children's nurture and welfare, family cohesion and support, and sexual sin and crime essential concerns for both the church and the state. He drew the Council of Geneva into a creative new alliance to guide and govern the reformation of the domestic sphere. So this was one area that certainly needed reform among many, and Martin Luther uh, emphasized that. He eventually married, and, and there were others. Uh, the, the, the straw that bro broke the camel's back for Martin Luther was the selling of indulgences. In other words, you know, pay me this much money and you'll get out of hell, that type of thing. So 
one might question whether the necessity for reform was more important than the necessity of unity. The church, church history reveals that from that point, the Protestant Reformation, the church has continually divided into more sects with finer distinction than their predecessors. Secondary issues have become primary issues in many cases and have seemed to cause further division in the body of Christ. Believers should consider the benefits of the Reformation, but also the costs and if they were worth the outcome. Reformers challenged the plurality of thoughts exuded by the Roman Catholic Church during the Reformation, many of them giving their lives for doing so. John Huss is one example of that. He existed, he lived prior to the Protestant Reformation, but he is one whose ideas began to spread like wildfire and brought on the Reformation. But the desired reforms were necessary. Perhaps the cost of reform, the division in the church, could have been avoided. And we can only speculate if another solution could have been employed rather than total separation from the Catholic Church. In fact, what, what, what occurred because of the Reformation does not seem to represent the New Testament and first, first century church, a unified church. With all the positive impacts of the Reformation, uh, the further division in the body of Christ, which the movement brought, is among the least desired of outcomes. So disunity certainly was an impact of the Reformation, right or wrong. Perhaps it was the only solution, maybe not. The third impact that the Reformation had was exaggerated reform beyond what was necessary. Martin Luther understood the necessity of church reform, which is why he challenged the Catholic Church with not only post the posting of his 95 Theses, but also his teachings and sermons. When he discovered the drastic effect the movement had in Wittenberg and across Europe, he grew discouraged because what seemed to be an overreach or an exaggeration of reform was not what he wanted. Uh, the Reformation in Switzerland emphasized elements other than those championed by Luther. Far from being monolithic, the Protestant Reformation spawned many offshoots. And so, in what would seem to be greater division and separation, not only from the Catholic Church, but also from other Protestant groups, finer minuscule differences caused more splits. Uh, for example, John Calvin came from a legal background and stressed the sovereignty of God. He became a formidable force within the Reformation, molding Reformed theology. Zwingli advanced the view of the Lord's Supper that is reflected in the New Testament language. The Anabaptists rediscovered immersion of adults as the proper design of baptism. The Anglicans favored many Catholics' practices without the hierarchy. The Protestant states varied in, in their attitudes towards monasteries, but there was general agreement among the Protestants that monastic life was a mistaken form of Christian life. And so you see all these differences and these continued splits, and it's even happening today. How often do we hear of some church splitting or some group coming out of another one with different beliefs? And it happens all the time. And so although he held his own theological beliefs on secondary issues, Luther's opinions favored the basic return to fundamental doctrines of Christianity. And this was his purpose in proposing reform. But what occurred was an unstoppable movement of believers who reformed even secondary doctrines and extra-biblical thought. In fact, the Protestant Reformation has been cited by scholars of European history as contributing to the rise of nationalism, individualism, capitalism, and secularism. 
Luther's Reformed arguments emphasize fundamental Christian doctrine rather than the futility of secondary and extra-biblical issues. But where most of Europe saw drastic responses to reform, English reformers took a more subtle approach. The early English reformers were Catholic in their tastes, or at least eclectic. The impact of the Reformation, therefore, was largely dependent on geographical location. It can be suggested that what occurred in the English Reformation is perhaps closer to what Luther desired in Wittenberg and the surrounding areas of Europe. In non-English-speaking areas, what began as a protest became an advocacy for new understanding of religious authority and Christian practice. The impact of the Reformation continues to be felt even to this day. Its tenets of faith ring loud and clear, even in a world that has gone through many revolutions of thought since the 16th century. The Reformers, I think, surely desired changes in the church doctrine and practice, none more than the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther. But from Luther's teachings, writings, and actions, the exaggeration of reform saddened him as his desire was for greater unity rather than division. Even Protestants held their differences in doctrinal issues. For example, while all Protestants opposed the Catholic Church by teaching salvation uh, by faith alone, um, Calvin extended the doctrine to include, include that of predestination, which certainly caused further rifts in the church, even among Protestants. And, and these secondary issues, I am not saying, are not important. They certainly are, and I think it's important for people to have their opinions on it. But let's keep secondary issues secondary. What was a good intention of the Reformation then, namely reform of fundamental issues, became exaggerated to the point of causing what seems to be further disunity. Considering the impact of the Reformation in this regard, it is right to weigh the benefits against the detriments. So the overarching judgment of the, the, the Reformation's impact, the impact of the Reformation can be seen from both positive and negative, negative perspectives, depending on the topic considered. It's right, understanding centuries of knowledge post-Reformation, to judge the overarching impact of the movement, its strengths and weaknesses, and whether or not another solution would have been better. Certainly one's personal background uh, influences his or her thought on the Reformation's impact, and there's nothing wrong with that. We each hold an individual perspective. Even Luther himself experienced questions regarding what occurred because of his 95 Theses. The three primary areas I've discussed here offer a compact and precise standard by which to judge the impact of the Reformation. Uh, the developments sway on congregational worship, church unity, or the lack thereof, and the level of reform should be deliberated when we make a judgment on the impact of the Reformation. And as with many historical events, we, we can point to the both positives and the negatives of the Reformation. And so the sum of all these impacts gives us the opportunity to make a right judgment on the outcomes of the Reformation and whether it was overall advantageous or damaging to the body of Christ. I think it's important to consider these things not just for the Reformation, but any movement in Christian history, even the ones going on today. Always ask yourself, what are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? And are these worth it? Some things are not worth it. Pick your battles. Do you really want to plant your flag there? There are times where, in the name of unity, we need to agree to disagree because there are secondary issues. And there are times where we need to take a bold stand and say, this is not right. 
So hopefully we can be people of unity. The church is perpetually unified already. So when we do not appear unified, we are not being who we are supposed to be as the church. So I hope this has been helpful as I've discussed the impact of the Reformation. And hopefully this has been a blessing to you. And I thank you today for listening to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.